Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. Hey everyone, this episode is going to cover form and function. Form and function brings us back to geometry, right? One of the most foundational mathematic courses you've ever had to take. We'll spend some time in this episode reviewing the basic shapes as they relate to the dentition and make some determinations on how these shapes create the proper form to help support the function of the teeth and ultimately protect the periodontium. There is a method to the design of the dentition. We'll take a look at all the aspects of teeth shapes, the location as it relates to the shape, the position of the teeth together, and how these teeth function both individually, as a group, as an arch, and ultimately as a dentition. What you'll begin to notice when you take a closer look at form and function is that there's a cause and effect on all aspects of the form and function of the dentition. Therefore, there's also a cause and effect on all aspects of improper form and dysfunction of the dentition. We'll take a look at the way that the teeth form, how they function together, and what this looks like clinically, what you'll expect to see when you take a look at the form and function of your patients. We also will talk about some of the effects that improper function has, as well as malpositioning, and begin to make some determinations together about how these impact the function of the dentition for a long term. There are some general rules of form and function that we'll talk about at length and begin to take a closer look at how these general rules apply to the relationship between the teeth. Contact areas and embrasure spaces are functional elements of the relationship between the teeth and they follow specific rules in proper function. You will develop a detailed understanding of the relationships and help your understanding of how the dentition functions as a whole unit, as well as how the contacts and embrasure spaces impact specific areas of the mouth. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! Relating geometry to the form and function of the dentition starts with three basic shapes. Let's take a look at trapezoidal shapes first. Trapezoidal shapes can be found on the facial and lingual surfaces of all the teeth and also the proximal view of the maxillary premolars. Triangular shapes can be found on all the proximal surfaces of the anterior teeth. And the rhomboidal shape can be found on the mandibular posterior teeth. Let's go over some real basic tooth form. So each tooth is made up of a crown and one or more roots. The outer layer of the crown is made up of enamel and covers the inner portion of dentin. The dentin surrounds the nerve chamber. 
The outer layer of the root is covered by cementum, and that protects the inner portion of dentin that surrounds the pulp canals. The enamel of the crown and the cementum of the root typically meet at what's called the CEJ, the cemento-enamel junction. And this can happen in three different configurations. The first configuration is that the cementum can overlap the enamel. The second is that the cementum may meet the enamel. And the third configuration may be that there's a gap between the cementum and the enamel, which would expose the inner dentin. Specific terminology that's associated with the anatomy of the tooth are anatomic crown, which is defined as the part of the crown that's covered by enamel. And then the anatomic crown, I want you to know, is a constant, right? It never changes and it's marked at the CEJ. The clinical crown is a little bit different. The clinical crown is noted as the part of the tooth that is visible in the clinical setting. The clinical crown can have several variations. For example, a newly or partially erupted tooth could have only a small portion of the anatomic crown exposed clinically, and the rest of the crown could be covered with gingiva. This would result in a very small clinical crown. The height of the clinical crown can be measured from the incisal edge to the marginal gingiva. Uh, the same principle applies when you're referring to the anatomic root, right? which is defined as the portion of tooth that's covered by cementum. So that would be from the cemento-enamel junction, right, the CEJ, to the apex of the tooth. This is also a constant that doesn't change. So some of the most common root traits is that all roots are widest at the CEJ and taper towards the apex of the tooth. Students should expect that as they progress through the dental hygiene program, they will learn more and more about root anatomy and its important role in clinical instrumentation skills. Having a detailed knowledge of root anatomy is a key component to adequate periodontal root instrumentation. Having a good understanding of root anatomy allows the clinician the ability to properly treatment plan and perform instrumentation techniques without causing any harm to the root areas. Students enrolled in a dental hygiene program will learn and develop advanced instrumentation techniques to adequately treat root areas once they have completed competencies on root anatomy. Let's first talk about contact areas. Now, contact areas are defined as the area of the mesial or distal surface of a tooth that touches the adjacent tooth. Contact areas provide stability and maintain a tooth's position within the arch. It's meant to prevent food from packing between the teeth, and it protects the interproximal gingiva from any kind of trauma during chewing. The contact areas have to be small enough to prevent food and bacteria buildup, but also large enough to prevent food impaction. So because it's meant to provide support and anchorage for the teeth, it's important that you consider the contact areas. Now there are five general rules for contact areas. Number one, the contact area is more cervically located as you go from anterior to posterior. Number two, the distal contact area is more cervically located than the mesial contact area. Now why is this? 
because the cervical incisal or occlusal length of the teeth also decrease as you move posteriorly. The third general rule of contact areas is that the size of the contact area increases from anterior to posterior. And the reason for this is that the posterior teeth are wider facio-lingually than the anterior teeth. The fourth general rule is that anterior contact areas are centered in a facial lingual direction. The fifth general rule of contact areas is that posterior contact areas are located just facial to the center in a facial lingual direction. The area of the mesial or distal surface of a tooth which touches the adjacent tooth is called that contact area, remember? And remember what the stability is. The contact area is meant to stabilize and maintain the tooth position in the arch. The location of the contact area is important. Why do we have to understand the general rules? The general rules of contact areas are designed to assign form and function to the dentition, to create a benchmark for any variance or variability within those general rules, to allow us to identify any kind of discrepancies and dysfunction that may be present in the dentition. Also to correlate contact areas to the health of the periodontium. It's important to understand the general rules because of the importance of proper contacts in the restorative practices and also the challenges that are associated with irregular contacts within the dentition. Let's talk about embrasures. In your Stedman's Dictionary in Dentistry, an embrasure space is defined as the space adjacent to an interproximal contact area that spreads in four directions. Those four directions are facial, lingual, occlusal incisal, or cervical. Embrasures provide a spillway for food to escape during the chewing process or mastication. Embrasures are the spaces that are formed facially or lingually to the contact areas. They allow for passage of food so the food is not forced into the contact area, which could traumatize the periodontium. The embrasures allow for the passage of food around the teeth so that the food is not impacted into those contact areas or the periodontium. It's important to know that embrasures are named for their contact or location in relation to the contact area. And you'll see it from two different views. You'll see it from facial lingual view or occlusal incisal view. I like to think of the occlusal incisal view as like the bird's eye view if you're looking down at the teeth. So when you're taking that occlusal incisal view, looking at the bird's eye view of the occlusal surface of the tooth, you have a facial embrasure, which is located facially to the contact area. And then you'll have a lingual embrasure, which is located lingually to the contact area. When you're looking at the facial lingual view or the smile view, when somebody's smiling at you, notice where the contact area is. If you can picture the contact area of somebody smiling at you, you will have an occlusal incisal embrasure, which is located coronally to the contact area. And then you'll have a gingival cervical embrasure, which is located cervically to the contact area. There are five general rules to embrasures. The first one is that the incisal or occlusal embrasure increases in size from anterior to posterior. 
The second general rule is that the cervical or gingival embrasures decrease in size from anterior to posterior. And think about the why behind this. The reason why that is true, those two general rules are true, is because the contact area becomes more cervically located from anterior to posterior. The third general rule is that facial and lingual embrasures are equal in size on the anterior teeth. So think about the why behind that. We know that the anterior contact areas are centered in a facial lingual direction. So it makes sense that we can say the facial and lingual embrasures are equal in size on those anterior teeth. The fourth general rule is that lingual embrasures are larger than facial embrasures on posterior teeth. And think about the why associated with this rule. Posterior contact areas are more facially located, so that would only make sense that the lingual embrasure would be larger. The fifth general rule embrasures is that embrasures are symmetrical. Now think about what would happen if a proximal restoration was iatrogenically over-contoured. If one side of the embrasure is over or under-contoured, it may affect the health of the periodontium. So it's important to follow the general rules of embrasure spaces. The next topic to discuss for form and function general rules is cervical line curvature, also known as the CEJ. The first general rule of cervical line curvatures is that the direction of the curvature in a facial lingual direction curves apically. When you are looking at the proximal surfaces, the curve of the cervical line curvature curves incisally or occlusally on the posterior teeth. The second general rule of cervical line curvatures is that the depth of curvature on the proximal surface depends on two things, the height of the contact area and the diameter of the crown in a facial lingual direction. The third general rule of cervical line curvature is that the depth of curvature on the proximal surfaces is greater on the anterior teeth than on the posterior teeth. So let's think about why. The reason why that is true is that the anterior teeth are narrower in a facial lingual direction, but longer in an incisal cervical direction than on the posterior teeth. The reason why this is true in form and function is that it affords the anterior teeth more anchorage and support because there'll be more bony support in the mesial and distal areas. The fourth general rule of cervical line curvature is that the cervical lines on the proximal surfaces of adjacent teeth have approximately the same depth of curvature. So think about that. They're next to each other, so they're going to mimic their cervical line curvatures. And the fifth general rule of cervical line curvatures is that the depth of curvature is normally greater on the mesial than on the distal. And why is this true? This is true because the contact areas are usually more cervically located on the distal areas. Next, let's talk about height of contour. The Stedman's definition of height of contour is a line encircling a tooth at its greatest bulge or diameter. So looking at the facial and lingual surfaces, you would determine where the greatest area of the contour is 
in an incisocervical cervical direction, and you must view it from the proximal surface in order to locate the height of contour. The function of the height of contour is to allow for proper food deflection away from the gingival margin. On the anterior teeth, looking at the proximal surface, the facial and lingual height of contour is in the cervical third. Looking at the posterior teeth at the proximal surface, the mandibular teeth, uh, the height of contour on the facial is at the cervical third and on the lingual of the mandibular, mandibular posterior teeth is on the middle third. Looking at the proximal height of contour, you would be looking at the tooth from a facial or lingual view. The greatest area of the crown contour mesiodistally would be the height of contour on the proximal surfaces. The proximal height of contour is always found at the contact area. So think about where you would notice the height of contour on an anterior incisor. So if you're looking for the height of contour of the lingual surface, you would have to look at the proximal view and the lingual surface of the anterior tooth height of contour would be in the cervical third. If you needed to know the proximal height of contour, you would take a facial view and that height of contour would be at the contact area or on the incisal third of that anterior tooth. Here's a memory tip for you as it relates to height of contour. For all of the teeth in the dentition, the facial height of contour is located in the cervical third. For the lingual surfaces, the anterior teeth height of contour is also located in the cervical third. And for the lingual surfaces of the posterior teeth, the height of contour is located in the middle third. When you are referring to the height of contour in the proximal areas, refer back to what you know about the rules of contact areas. The height of contour for the proximal surfaces is located at the contact point, which as you know, starts on the anterior teeth in the incisal third and ends on the posterior teeth in the middle third for the proximal height of contour. I hope this memory tip helps you when you're talking about height of contour. Form and function is a clinical consideration of the dental professional in order to aid in proper chewing and protection of the periodontium for their patients. Tooth forms are related to their specific functions as well as speech and aesthetic considerations. We will review more about specific function of each tooth type when we review tooth morphology. Patients may lose proper form and function from many varied situations. Caries, restorative, attrition, or loss of specific teeth can change the form and function of the dentition as a whole. These changes that patients experience can have a varied effect on their ability to maintain proper chewing or periodontal health over the course of their lifetime and should be considered at the assessment phase of their appointments. I hope this was an informative and basic straightforward overview of form and function for you. Please know that a lot of this information is helpful if you also have visual aids 
to kind of understand and orient yourself around some things like where is the contact area located? How come I can't understand the height of contour? So this is information that you can review, listen to, but also if you're the type of learner that needs visual uh, instruction as well, it's a good idea to tandem this with something of that nature. And know that you can always reference this and listen to certain segments again to help you understand the basics of form and function. These are foundational components of what will be just developed further as we go into tooth morphology and some of the other uh, more detailed parts of oral anatomy. In the next episode, we will take a look at oral facial structures of the face, neck, and oral cavity. The landmarks are essential components of the oral cancer screening exam performed on all patients as part of their assessment in the clinical setting. The variants of normal that exist in a patient population will also be covered and are essential for clinicians to know when performing the oral cancer screening assessment. I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.